Hello and welcome to Witchy Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Lauren Cholantani, women's holistic health coach and fellow recovering perfectionist. This podcast was created to show you that your body is not in the way, it is actually leading your way. I am very particular about the type of CBD and hemp products that I use. There's so much hype and lack of testing and quality in the industry. So the company that I love and use is Evo Hemp. Not only do they have a beautiful product like hemp seeds, CBD oil, gummies, even hemp chocolate, protein bars, protein powder. They also support a 40-acre co-op farm in Minnesota, which is farmer-owned, focusing on bringing equality and innovation back to black, indigenous, and other socially disadvantaged farmers. So if you are looking into trying any type of CBD or hemp products, head over to evohemp.com. The link is in the show notes. And make sure you use code WITCHY, W-I-C-T-H-Y, for 20% off of your purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Witchy Wellness Radio. This is a show you learn how your body and emotions are not in the way they're actually leading the way. And today we have a beautiful example of that. Our guest is Dr. Pierce Thompson. She is an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester and an expert in the psychology of eating. She is a president of the Institute of Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder of the Worldwide Brightline Eating Movement. Her first two books, including Brightline Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin, and Free, became New York Times bestsellers and instant Hay House favorites. Her work weaves, weaves the neuroscience of food addiction with the powerful insights of power, positive psychology, IFS, and the 12-step recovery to outline a roadmap for achieving true integrity and self-authorship around food. The Brightline Eating Mission is to help 1 million people around the globe discover lasting food freedom and give their bright transformations by 2025. There is a lot that I want to dive into, but I am so excited (laughs) to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks, Lauren. It's so great to be here with you. Yeah, I, I know we're talking about off air, about what makes, you know, Brightline Eating different the the research but also just the positive spin on something that's everywhere in the media you know weight loss and it's kind of the opposite of positive if you will yeah totally (laughs) diets don't work you know body positivity accept yourself and so forth and there are really good reasons why someone might want to lose weight right whether it's that their knees are hurting or a real medical reason you know they um they need they need knee surgery and they have to lose 50 pounds to get it safely. Or, you know, their triglycerides are up, their inflammation is up, they're they're type two diabetic or whatever, or because they don't feel as good in their skin as they could. Or um, what what the people I serve are more uh, food addicted. So they're pulled more by the addictive foods. And when you're eating out of integrity, when you're eating in a way that you know you don't want to be eating, you know it's harming you, um, you know, weight can be a manifestation of that kind of a relationship with food. And so it's not so much 
a desire to lose weight. It's to get in alignment with your eating and to regain authorship over your eating mm. and to feel in integrity with your eating. And that's what I help people do. And weight loss can be a byproduct of that and not the goal at all, but yeah. just a manifestation of a healed relationship with food. So yeah, we come at weight loss from a very different perspective than most weight loss companies, if you will. I mean, that right there is a whole episode that, <laughs> that yeah. to the T. But I would love, so beautifully said, well said, I would love to hear how you got into this research and and this positive psychology behind it all, because like we said, this is not the, not the norm whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me see if I can give synopsis. you the, how I got into this synopsis. <laughs> let me see if I can, the, the bullet points. Yeah. So um, I come from an addictive background. I'm highly addictive. And um, I started doing drugs when I was 14. Um, part of that was I noticed that drugs helped me manage my weight, which was already an issue. But also just frankly, I liked to party and I really liked to, I did psychedelics first and I had an incredible experience and I just kind of kept going. But then then it got serious. I found crystal meth when I was 16 and got hooked on speed. And then I, I kicked that after a couple of years. But first I, you know, I dropped out of high school and I had drug induced psychosis and really heavy problems with my addiction. Um, and I, I quit methamphetamine, but then I found cocaine and then I started freebasing cocaine and then I was addicted to crack. And so I was addicted to crack and I was prostituting for money to buy crack and a high school dropout. And that was my resume at the age of 19. At the age of 20, um, I got taken to a 12-step meeting for drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And I haven't had a drink or a drug since. And that's, you know, 27, almost 28 years ago now, by the grace of just the divine the divine powers that be so grateful for that. But my addiction hopscotched back over to food really quickly. And I was obese by my mid twenties and struggling with my food profoundly, but food addiction is, um, an addiction that you can kind of run in parallel with, uh, a fairly productive life. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of very successful people fuel their success with caffeine and sugar, right? And overeating. And that's what I did. I went to San Jose City College, did great, transferred to UC Berkeley, crushed it, got 4.0s, spoke at the graduation. And from UC Berkeley, I started studying cognitive science, um, hopscotch to um, a master's and a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences at one of the top schools in the world, did a two-year postdoc in psychology at the University of New South Wales, and became a psychology professor, got tenure, taught for 16, 17, 18 years, long time, however long it was. And it was in teaching psychology that I started teaching the fields that light me up now, positive psychology, which I um, got training in at the University of Pennsylvania, just sort of as I was a professor, positive psychology was born and I got training in that. And then, um, and then I was teaching a college course in the psychology of eating as well and the neuroscience of food addiction. And then, um, in my morning meditation, January 26th, 2014, the message came really strongly to write a book called Bright Line Eating. Um, oh, by the way, back when I was 28 years old, I lost all my excess weight, um, started eating in a structured way, very similar to how I don't drink alcohol or do drugs ever. I got clear on what foods to not eat. Um, that was through a 12-step food program. And there are lots of 12-step food programs 
Um, and I was in 12 step food programs, wandering around lost for years and years and years, not experiencing success. Finally, I found, fell in with a group of people who taught me not to eat sugar, not to eat flour, but not why or what was going on in my brain. And that's sort of what I bring to the mix in bright line eating outside of a 12 step context. Cause not everyone wants a 12 step program. And a lot of people really appreciate the science and want a scientific grounding to what they do. Um, so that's the. That's the cliff notes. That's the short version. I get the highlights. Oh my gosh, what the highlights those are. Yeah, for me, I love seeing both the positive psychology, you know, more mindfulness aspect of it, but also the research. Like, here's what we say it does from this positive, almost woo point of view. I mean, you are on Witchy Wellness Radio. Here's the yeah. science. Here's the research. Here, here you go. Here's the hard, hard evidence here. And I yeah. know a lot of just even normal mainstream weight loss companies don't publish their research. Don't probably man even do <laughs> their research. Yeah. So let's 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 dive straight into the research and the science behind it, and you know, really what makes Bright Line Eating stand out. Even yeah, more. sure, totally. So. In Brightline Eating, we publish our data and um, first of all, initial weight loss results. So within two months, people have lost clinically significant weight. This averages, you know, 13 to 17 pounds in two months. Um, that's average. Someone coming from really big numbers might lose 30 pounds in their first two months. Um, and you might say, that's not healthy, but actually research shows that um, there isn't anything unhealthy about losing weight fast. And um, I mean, there can be over a sustained period of time, but initial weight loss for someone coming from big numbers is, is usually fast. Um, and so significant weight loss. Now, just to put that in context, um, initial weight loss and bright line eating is, you know, three to five times more than initial weight loss in Noom, for example. Um, Noom does publish their data, by the way. So it's great to, it's easy to compare to Noom because they, they also publish their data. So props to Noom. I, I, I respect Noom tremendously. Um, but in terms of initial weight loss, it's way faster in bright line eating. And here's a really cool statistic in those first two months, people in their fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties lose weight just as fast as people in their twenties and thirties. You'll never see that anywhere else. I've never seen anything like that. You might say that's not even possible. Like we all know that after menopause, women don't lose weight as easily. And it's true on average because of the way they're trying to lose weight. But in bright line eating, we don't eat sugar or flour. Those are, that's the sort of foundation for the addictive foods. You can think of ultra processed foods as being the basis of addictive uh, foods, but Unfortunately, once you've been exposed to a lot of addictive foods, you can develop an addiction to just eating. Like just the, you know, eating itself is rewarding enough, just like masturbating or um, gambling, right? To be addictive in its own right. So unfortunately, food addiction packs the one-two punch of being both a substance and a process addiction. But anyway, um, back to the people losing weight as fast as you know people postmenopausal as fast as people in their 20s and 30s when you take sugar and flour out of the equation out of the diet with a bright line which is a clear unambiguous boundary that you just don't cross you don't you don't eat sugar and flour at all when you take that stance what happens is 
um, you're not messing with your blood sugar and your insulin levels as heavily. And estrogen and estrogens, estrogen is a class of hormones, the, the presence of estrogen facilitates the effectiveness of insulin. And when you're not mucking around with sugar and flour, it doesn't actually matter as much whether you have estrogen on board to help your insulin out because it doesn't have such a heavy job to do anymore and it levels the playing field. So bright line eating is a plan that levels the playing field of age. So that's another research finding. Um, in those first two months, hunger and cravings go down steadily over the entire two months to the point where at the end of two months, hunger and craving levels are so low as to be negligible, like almost no hunger, almost no cravings. That's while you're losing weight rapidly. Now, usually when you're losing weight, your hunger is going up and your cravings are increasing. And you might, you know, this, this debunks the whole, like, you can't, you know, expect yourself to never eat a cookie because you'll just crave cookies all the time. Well, research shows that's actually not true. If you stop eating sugar and flour, you stop craving, not only sugar and flour, but pretty much all foods altogether. Um, not to say you don't get hungry right before mealtime, of course you do, but, um, but you know, real hunger, distressing hunger, no, none at all anymore. Um, what else? Oh, two years out, not only have people not regained their weight, they've lost doubly more and they're maintaining as a group every pound. Now, that's not to say no one regains their weight over two years. Of course, there are some people. What it means is that in the whole cohort, for anyone who regained a pound, someone else lost two. So as a group, the weight loss has doubled and maintained every pound that was lost. So just to compare against most programs, in most programs, almost all of the pounds lost as a cohort are regained within a year or two, almost every pound. Um, and as we all know, a lot of people regain more than they lost. Again, we do have people in Brightline Eating who regain weight, but not on average. As a group, people are maintaining their weight loss and then some. Um, and then finally, because you love the positive psychology stuff so much, here's a positive psychology study. Um, we looked at psychosocial metrics. So these are um, depression, days of bad, poor mental health, energy levels. Um, quality of life, happiness and well-being, um, perceived social support, like uh, answering affirmatively to, I feel deeply loved and connected in the world, or if I had an emergency, I absolutely know that there's someone who would come over to my house and help me at the drop of a hat, those sorts of things. We measured um, all of those, the change in those over the first two months of doing Brightline Eating and people's well-being on every one of those metrics, um, increased off the charts. I'm talking about, I don't know if you know research sort of statistics, but P less than 0. 0.00001, like just huge effect sizes of improved well-being. Now, even better, we looked at those data for people who did the boot camp way before or way after or right during the throes of COVID. I'm talking about April. May and June of 2020, people who started Brightline Eating and did the first two months then. And what we found was during that heightened, surreal, horrific time where COVID was descending on all of us like an alien invasion, the people who were starting Brightline Eating and banding together with other people right then in our community, which is very, very tight knit, 
Have you taken the anxious personality quiz yet? Real talk, not all anxiety is created equal, nor can you manifest the same way with it. Yes, that's true. You can manifest with your anxiety. I created this quiz so you can figure out how your anxiety manifests in your life, your emotions, your thoughts, and your actions. And when we have more insight into what our triggers and how to catch them faster, we're able to make lasting change and amplify what we want to manifest in our life. You can find out your anxious personality type at anxiousquiz.com. Learn to embrace and manifest with your anxiety today. Experienced that full benefit that everyone else got before and after the people before and after, but then enough more that the effect size on that was huge. Like it was the the benefit, but on steroids, like almost doubly more. And so it just goes to show what that is. It's a, it's a measure of resilience, right? Like when things were really, really hard, doing bright line eating helped not just the same amount, but even more. So bright line eating helps people be better, live better, feel better, almost in every way we've measured. So, well, really in every way we've measured so far across the board. And these are all published findings. You can go onto brightlineeating.com and scroll to the very bottom and look for the little research link at the bottom and um, read the studies yourself. Amazing. And yes, I, I laugh because you know, I don't know if you know statistics. My mom is a market researcher and she's all about oh. statistics. So <laughs> mom, if you're still listening to my podcast. That's for you. That's yeah. for you. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that is so interesting about, it makes sense, the resiliency of like that contrast, the you when times get harder and you dive into something like that, especially with the community aspect, the results are exponentially higher. Um, I mean, COVID aside, that amplifies it as well. Global obesity yeah. rates are out of the roof. Oh, out of the freaking roof. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a I have a hypothesis and I'll just mention it here and then we'll all see whether I'm right. Um, my hypothesis is is uh, is that in the United States, we've already hit 50% obesity. Um, And I think, I think those numbers will be coming out sometime in the next six months or so, or a year. Um, It takes them about two years to collate the data, right? Mm -hmm. State by state and blah, blah, blah. Um, So in, in early 2020, it came out that as of 2018, 42.4% of people in the United States of America had, according to the BMI chart, uh, obesity. 42.4% and roughly 70% are overweight or obese, right? But, but more than half of the people who are overweight or obese have obesity. And it was prophesied uh, quite a long time ago that 50% of people in the United States would have obesity by 2030, but then COVID hit. And there was a study by the American Psychological Association that another 42%, interesting number that keeps popping up. 42 is the answer to life if you didn't read that book. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Checker's guide. <laughs> yep. Um, 42% of people in the United States gained unwanted weight during COVID and it averaged 19 pounds. And I believe that that put us to 50% obesity, you know, by early 2021. We won't have those numbers yet for another, you know, six months or a year, but I think we're already there, which means we hit 50% obesity if I'm right nine years early 
nine years early. We were on track to hit it by 2030, and I think we're already there. And global obesity rates are just climbing unchecked by anything, like just marching right up there. And and now we've got sort of this this these other forces which are interesting and nuanced, right? I agree with a lot of this, but it's interesting, right? Now we've got plus size mannequins and plus size models and the health at any size movement and the and the body positivity movement. And a lot of that sort of is seeking to normalize a bigger size. And at the same point, I don't know that anyone would say that it's good for us that global obesity marches up and up and ever up unchecked, right? And so here we are just sort of watching it happen. Um, our food environment has changed a lot in the last hundred years. And um, with the brains we've got, we're pretty much sitting ducks. Our genes haven't changed. It's all the environment has changed. And uh, our brains are no match for the foods that we've got in our environment and the eating patterns, the unstructured eating patterns. So yeah, bright line eating is a solution that helps an individual um, take charge of their own experience within this food environment context, which is so anathema to um, you know a healthy relationship with food, especially if you've got a more addictable brain. So I think you answered it, but I'm going to ask a question. Why do you think this is? Is it because the environment has changed, but our but our our genes haven't? Is that why yeah. you think obesity's got? Obviously, COVID has amped it up even more, but. Yeah, no, I think why why are why is the obesity yeah. rate just marching up unchecked? Um, I think um processed foods is the main reason, right? It's specifically the foods that are in our food environment. So right now, um children and adolescents, if you look at the foods they're eating, two-thirds of them are classified as ultra processed foods, according to the Nova um food processing scale. So that means that they never started off as foods. They were born in factories as industrial ingredients and poured into bags and packages, right? Um, ultra processed foods. And so I think that's by far the number one reason is the foods that are in our environment. But you also have the breakdown of meal structure and structured eating in general. So there used to be sort of a lot more structure around breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and we know that meal timing is very important um, to body composition. And you know, the average person in the United States right now is eating their last bite of food a few bites, a few minutes before they go to bed, you know, and they're waking up and dumping sugar and cream in a cup of coffee within a few moments after awakening. And so the breakdown of meal structure um, and just structured eating in general, we, we've gone pretty far as a society on the continuum of like structured eating, what's on the other side? Like, like catch as catch can, absolutely unplanned, eat whatever, whenever eating, right? And the availability and palat palatability of foods has gone sky high. So um, I, it's, it's, it's the food, it's the food. People can say blah, 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 exercise, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 it's the food, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the calorie in, calorie out thing, I I I started out this in this this arena as health with health coaching and it's gotten very mindful spirituality over the years, but all calories are not not the same whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and to me, the biggest way, Lauren, that not all calories are the same, yeah, is that what you eat today 
predicts and helps determine what you're going to eat tomorrow. And that's the way that not all calories are the same. So if you eat a big salad or a, you know, a bunch of kale and tofu and brown rice, right? Um, you are not likely to overeat downstream from that. If you eat, you know, a donut and a coffee with, you know, cream and sugar dumped into it, you are highly likely to overeat a few hours later, right? A couple of hours later. And so that's the biggest way. And not to mention rewiring the brain for food addiction, right? A donut and a big cup of coffee with cream and sugar is going to, is going to flood your addictive reward centers in the brain with dopamine, cause those receptors to thin out so that you're literally feeling like you're crawling out of your skin unless you get some more sugar, flour, processed foods downstream, right? And so you're rewiring your brain to force you to eat addictively in the future. That's the biggest difference, I think. I don't think we realize it. I know I know we talked about addictive behaviors, and I want to talk about how food can be one of the more challenging things. You mentioned like there's kind of like this two-prong addiction to it. Um but we don't realize what what emotion from from my point of view the emotions are what we're masking it's just it's just another addiction maybe not, not to feel or to to seek that dopamine hit yeah. more and more and more because people listening here might be like all right this sounds this sounds a little too good to be true a sustainable way to to lose weight and and not crave anymore like yeah. what is she talking about so i guess let's approach it from you know <laughs> this food addiction point of view and how, how approaching yeah. it that way, you learn more about yourself and in return, really that ripples out to everything, not only just your weight and your overall well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not snake oil. I mean, it's <laughs> not like there's no downside. It, the reality is it requires adopting a very structured approach to eating. Right. And, and it's a potent solution and it's a big ask. It's like, you know, Brightline Eating asks you to, um, surrender a lot of uh, approaches to food that you get from mainstream society that a lot of us have discovered just don't work, right? Like for a lot of us, the moderation idea doesn't work, right? We have one piece of pizza, we eat four, you know, it, that one piece of pizza experiment doesn't work or the whole thing or whatever. Um, you know, if we have a craving for a cookie, the cookie doesn't satisfy that craving. It, 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 it makes the itch itchier, right? Scratching it doesn't make it go away. It makes it itchier for us, right? So you got to know what kind of brain you have. But yeah, it's, it is an addiction thing. And not every brain is equally susceptible to addiction. I talk about a continuum of food addiction on a scale, let's just say from one to 10. I'm a 10. I have a super addictive brain. And one third of people are highly addictive when it comes to food and other things too. One third of people are moderately addictive and one third of people are frankly just not addictive at all. And I mean literally like they won't get hooked on heroin, shoot them up every day. And as soon as you stop those injections, they'll happily detox themselves and get off it. They will experience some withdrawal um, because of the physical piece. But seriously, think about how many people get sent home with massive opiate prescriptions after a back surgery and are taking opiates all day, every day, you know, at regular intervals, multiple times a day for weeks and months. And at the soonest opportunity, they just wean themselves off, right? And those people who have a cigarette outside of a concert or in a concert, 
you know, there's literally people who have coffee when they want it and don't even have, they're, they're like, oh yeah, if I don't have it for a couple of days, I'm fine. Or if there's only decaf, I'm good with that. And I'm like, what kind of person are you? Like, really? But there are those people who don't need a cigarette the next day. If I have a cigarette at a concert, I'm buying a pack and I'm smoking it and almost puking before the night is up. For sure. For sure. So you got to know what kind of brain you have. And research shows it's not actually even that correlated with weight. It's moderately correlated with weight, but not extremely correlated with weight. So what the research shows is that you know, 22% um, of people at a normal BMI, right-sized body, uh, test out as full-blown food addicts. Um, roughly 20%. So one study showed 19%, 22%, right in there. And, you know, among the people who have morbid obesity, it's 56%. So there's a difference for sure. But interestingly, the next highest BMI category is not obese or even overweight, it's underweight just showing that food restriction is part of food addiction as well. So anyway, I could go on and on. But yeah, you were you were touching into the emotional piece and, and how we're masking things with our eating. And absolutely, I think that because food is socially acceptable, socially pushed, completely ubiquitous, it's um it's one of the best crutches out there, right? Like if you need to stuff stuff down or mask it or numb it or distract, food is a great way. I mean, probably that and your cell phone, right, are the two best ways to numb and distract for sure. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, how can somebody learn more about, you know, your new book, The Bright Line Eating? Like if they're interested in learning more, where can they, where can they check it out? Yeah. I mean, we have an amazing program. So if you go to brightlineeating.com, and that's B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E, brightlineeating.com. Um, and you get started, we've got a roadmap for you, like a bright roadmap that takes you all the way through everything you need to know, including, you know, years out in your bright transformation. It takes someone, even who's got 150, 200 pounds to lose. It takes about a year, year and a half to have your full bright transformation. And then it's about maintenance. We teach you about maintenance years in how to still be um, rocking this new way of life. And just, you know, the Bright Line Eating mission is really about releasing and unlocking all the human potential that's trapped underneath that weight and trapped underneath the mental obsession of whether you, you're on your plan or off your plan, what you've eaten or not eaten, how many miles, how many calories, how many pounds, that obsession with food and weight and getting it together already, I swear to you, I swear to you, Lauren, the person who's going to solve cold fusion and solve our energy crisis, they're not even thinking about it. They're not even playing with equations right now because they're starting their fifth diet this year. I mean, that's literally what the research shows is 50% of people in the United States are trying to lose weight or trying to manage their eating. I mean, losing weight isn't in fashion right now. So people are just trying to get healthier or eat clean or whatever they're calling it. Poppycock, they're trying to lose weight. They're trying to get their food in order, whatever you wanna call it. 50% of people, and they're trying four or five new attempts each year on average. It's absolute madness. And so in Bright Line Eating, what we do is we solve that problem for people once and for all. And we release all of that mental focus so that people can be who they need to be in this world and give their gifts to the world fully. 
that's what we're about. And I was going to go there if you didn't already. It's like you might look at, you know, whether it's a physical ailment, losing weight or something in your life that you just aren't happy with. It's an opportunity for you to find out who you really are. It's it's not keeping you from that. And that's why the tagline for this show is your body is not in the way, it's leading the way. Those symptoms, those things you don't like are there because you need to learn to overcome them. And in that process and in that journey, you get to find out who you really are. And I don't believe there's an end goal. There's There's always more to learn, more to grow. But yeah, it's about finding out who you really are. And this is an opportunity if you feel you want to feel healthier, you want to lose the weight because that's okay too. I love positivity and loving yourself no matter where you are on your journey. But I also firmly believe that it's okay if you want to lose weight or look a different way or feel better in your body because this is your temple, your vessel that leads you through this life. That That is Absolutely. completely okay too. <laughs> that's a great tagline, Lauren. Your body's not in the way, it's leading the way. I yeah. love that. That's okay. so great. That's I got a so download great. too, just like bright line for you. It was like in a meditation yeah. in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> write that oh, one down. Write yeah. that one down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're doing what we're meant to be doing in this world, you know, just sharing our gifts and and the ripple effects are amazing, right? Because you had me on this podcast and there might be someone, one person who listens to this and says, it's time, I got to handle this food thing. I mean, I know for me, when Maslow's top little triangle in the in the hierarchy of needs, the self-actualization piece would come calling, for me, it was always, I got to get my food straight. I got to get this weight off and I got to get my food straight was the number one calling that I had for years and years and years and years and years and years. And now that that piece is in place. It's solved. It's just not an issue year after year. I don't make new year's resolutions like that. I don't have to, you know, like it's, I'm doing every day what I'm meant to be doing in this world. We solve that problem for people and then they can go be about their business in the world, like really being themselves. And if you've had food as an issue, what happens is it, it, it leads the way it, it, it goes from being in the way to leading the way, because it will be your best teacher. Cause you have to keep eating multiple times a day on average three, right? <laughs> Bright line eating. And you will continually get face to face with how are you doing with yourself? Are you aligned? Are you know, how are you doing? How's your program and how, how are you doing with yourself? It'll show up in your food very quickly. You know, if you're not staying, um, clean, whole, whatever the word is, like if you're not staying on the beam, right, it'll show up very quickly. And that can be such a blessing, right? I think that I'm also in recovery for um, drug and alcohol addiction. And because I don't have to engage with those substances, I can coast in that form of recovery, honestly, for years being off the beam. It doesn't show up in the same way. I can sort of stay numb and fuzzy headed and in denial about stuff. But because I have food addiction, it shows up and I have to address it, which is a curse. And it's also a blessing. It's a fabulous blessing. Oh my goodness. I couldn't agree more. Um, On that note, was there anything else, Susan, that you feel called to talk about or summarize to close the show out today? Um, I just always want to say a word to the person, the person who has a brain, God bless us, right? Has a brain that is 
more addictable. And in this food environment has developed, you know, a relationship with food that is just not working anymore. And if that's you, I just want to say, I get it. I have been face down in a bowl of cookie dough with tears streaming down my face more times than I would wish on any living human soul, you know, eating pint after pint of ice cream and whole pizza after whole pizza. And I just want to say, you're not alone. There is a solution. There is hope. There is help. And, you know, if you have a desire to lose weight without having a food problem that's that bad, Brightline Eating can do that for you too. I know people who just have 20 pounds to lose and they don't have brains that are addicted to food at all, but they just want clarity about what to eat and when to eat and have their food problem solved and their food structured. Um, so, you know, Brightline Eating is super affordable and it's super effective. It's rigorous. And you got to pony up, you know, more. it's not just, it's not dollars that you got to pony up for Brightline Eating because it's affordable. You got to pony up willingness and you got to want to change, but come check it out because it's pretty amazing. Um, and what I've shared with you here is true, but the effort it takes is real, right? Like it's, it's not a magic potion. It's not a silver bullet. Um, it, it takes real commitment and a very big change in identity. You become someone who does Brightline eating like a vegetarian doesn't eat meat. You change your identity at a very, very deep level. And um, if, if it's worth it to you to have that problem solved, come join us and just know you're not alone. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And like you mentioned earlier, if you if this resonates with you, all the links are in the show notes. But if you think of a loved one, I always say this in the episode, share, you never know what sharing a podcast or a book or a YouTube video, because that has helped me more times than I can remember. And part of the inspiration why I created this platform to, to have that ripple effect for more people out there. So if you really resonate with this or somebody popped into your mind, please send this away if you haven't already subscribed and make sure to write a review that helps us get this amplified even more even further and send the love out but thank you so much dr susan for coming on and enlightening us with not only the positive psychology but the research and the possibility that sustainable weight loss can happen it's it's available for you and we always ask how may we the listeners as a huge act of gratitude be of service for you in return for your time today you're so sweet i i would say yeah share this podcast if you know anyone that it might touch or it might reach um and if you're not personally pulled by addictive foods if you're someone who gets full when you've had the right amount of food and stops eating naturally someone who doesn't drive across town to satisfy a food craving, please just know that other people's brains work differently. People are not walking around obese because they're lazy or weak-willed. We have foods in our food supply that research shows are literally, not figuratively, literally as addictive as heroin and cocaine. And people can't stop. They just can't, not with how available and hooked you know how available it is and how hooked they are so just understand what we're dealing with here as a society food addiction is real and not every brain is susceptible 
So just know that there are brains out there that don't work like yours. So we can all just have some compassion for each other. It's a big thing we're facing as a society and we're all in it together. And, you know, we got to get global obesity rates trending down here at some point. And I think um, we need solutions for people who are food addicted and we need some understanding from people who aren't, right? That, um, you know, other people's brains are responding very differently in this current food environment. So that's what I would say. That's the answer to a lot of things right there is to have some <laughs> understanding and compassion for for everybody. But yeah. thank you so much for seriously enlightening us today. It was a pleasure having on here and I learned I learned a lot too. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was really a pleasure. And remember, open up, surrender, trust, and let your body 